Need a new set of optics? For more than a decade, Riton Optics has been providing optic solutions for hunters and shooters of all types and disciplines. Check out their Primal line for those products geared more towards us hunters. From binoculars and spotting scopes to your basic 3-9 to nine scopes and longer range crossover models, the Primal line from Riton was made for hunters. Learn more at RitonOptics.com. That's Riton, R-I-T-O-N, Optics.com. Where to hunt podcast? It's okay. Hi, I'm Dan Small, host of Outdoor Wisconsin, and I listen to Where to Hunt. Man, it's okay. I'm Kurt Geyer with Working Class Bow Hunter. I listen to Where to Hunt podcast, and it's decent. It's decent. Uh, it's all right. Hey, this is Bud Fisher with Catching Deers, and I think the Where to Hunt podcast is all right. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Where to Hunt podcast, the podcast that connects public land hunting enthusiasts, aka the OKS podcast in the Midwest. Today is Cinco de Mayo. Cheers to that. Happy, uh, May 5th, Greg, what's up? Happy Cinco de Drinco. Cinco de Drinco. Five cans of mayonnaise. That'd be Ugh. gross. Yeah, it would. So, what's I, happening? I'm going to, I'm holding this bottle of tequila up to the camera. This is Don Julio number 70. I don't know what that means, but I'm going to take a shot of it to kick things off and celebrate Cinco de Mayo. Greg, did you got like a Corona? beer over there not the coronavirus no no i have stepped it down well in my opinion i stepped it up a few notches uh i'm drinking a red white and blue can and i'll give you one guess as to what it is Ooh, i don't know what could that be i don't I've just never heard is it paul good old pat paul <laughs> <Just> kidding <laughs> pb army asap I'm drinking... ribbon man yeah it's good stuff it. do you have have you ever tried the pbr light it. did you know that's a thing it is a thing. I've heard that. It's good. But no, I have not. If I'm going to keep my uh, aspiring fat kid figure, i got to stick with uh, what I've got. Yeah, round the shape. I'll roll you anywhere. That sounds weird. Yeah, that's right. Tequila hasn't even started yet. And I'm drinking this, what is this called? Uh, mezcal, which is a agave. It's uh, quoted by our guest who's hanging out in mute land right now. He'll be in in a minute. Uh, he said this is the scotch of tequila. So how fitting is that? I got a little lime in here, which is delicious. So Yeah, the girl. Thanks, buddy. So before we get into it, let's hear what we got to say about our sponsors, the folks that help us do the show, uh, that help, you know, give us some of the supplies that we have, whether that's caffeine or other things. And in this case, when we're talking about caffeine, we're talking about Backwoods Grind. That's backwoodsgrind.com. Their website smells like coffee. Um, you know, I, I swear by it. Go check it out. I, I promise you will not be disappointed. And once you figure out which blend speaks to you the most and you decide to pull the trigger, uh, enter in code W2H podcast and save 10%. Really good stuff. They do have a sampler pack so you can kind of try a whole bunch for a low cost and kind of figure out what you want. So you don't have to go all in on a single bag, but I will recommend the camp house. Yes, Camp House and High Noon is a good one too. Yeah, and the fire—what's the fire one? Fireside or 
That one's good. Fireside. It's got yep, a, that's another nice roast. Yeah, it's got a gritty flavor to it, but it's it's yummy. Um it's like the coffee you drink with your grandpa back in the day, if you could. And then our other sponsor, uh Gumleaf USA. You know, Greg and I, we both have two pairs of Gumleaf boots. And they're rubber boots. They're 85% natural rubber, handmade uh, from scratch over in, I think it's Italy, if I'm not mistaken. And they're imported here to the no. U.S. Is it not? No. Where is it? No, no, Shut no. England, man. England. Well, yeah, but there's a part of England. Now, you, are geogra- you are geographically challenged in more ways than one. <laughs> I'm going to anyway. figure this out. Um, all right. And then whatever, Greg, you little a-hole. They're, they're Vibram Souls. We're going to find out who's right, and I'm probably wrong, so it's okay. I'm used to it. My wife's right about everything. You are wrong. Yeah, entirely dead wrong. Anyway. Now I'm being compared to the wife. That's awesome. That's, well, you kind of do, you know, nag me and correct me. And If you want to save some Dude. money on Gumleaf Boots, enter in code W2H2020 for 10% off their bigger ticket items, so that 10% goes a long way. We recommend their boots. They're really good. Um, yeah, and then, uh, Greg, you've done such they're a great, great job with the uh, Vector Custom Shop. I want you to do it again. You want me to do it? You want me to talk about Vector Custom Shop? Mm-hmm. Arrows built to your spec? Is that the one you want me That's to talk one, about? Yeah. yeah, the ones that are heavy. Thick-walled, heavy carbon arrows. Uh, they sport the ethics insert outsert system up front. You can weight them anywhere from 45 to 175 grains. You can get a test pack, which is two different arrows or two like arrows of the same, same setup and weights if you want. Um, half dozen or a dozen by uh, going on vectorcustomshop.com. You can check all that out. And if you decide to order some, use discount code where to hunt, save 10%. Cool. And we'll, uh, we'll do this shot of the week later. Yeah, that's good. Let's bring our guest on. Sorry to keep you waiting so long, bring him on. Aaron. Uh, on the line with us, we got Aaron Hitchens. I think I'm saying your last name correctly. Hopefully I didn't mess that one up. That is correct. What's up, man? You're with uh, Rock House Motion, and uh, we're excited to have you. Well, I'm happy. I'm disappointed you're not drinking a red, white, and blue Molson, but uh, other than that, <laughs> seems like we're off to a good start. I think you just gave the audience right. a hint uh, where you're from. Where Where are you from? Let's have you tell some <laughs> folks. I, uh, I am from the land just slightly to the north of you guys. I grew up in Ontario, Canada. I currently live in British Columbia, Canada, and uh, I spent the last while in Alberta, and we're actually building a house there. So once uh, once we get through this hunting season in BC, we'll be headed back to Alberta. But right now, generally a, a Western Canadian, even though I'm of an Eastern origin. Fun. How, how, what's the terrain like up there? Is it is it pretty similar to, like, you know, the Midwest, Wisconsin? And There's not, like... Tell me a little bit more, <laughs> bit more about that. Uh, yeah. Uh, no. Um, <laughs> Wisconsin no. is a very beautiful place. And in some ways, it's slightly reminiscent of where I grew up. Uh, a little bit more tame. But yeah, where I where I live right now is right on the coast of the Pacific Ocean. So yeah, that's it's essentially way better. deep blue water and snow-capped mountains and like sort of big, uh, big fjords. And... Um, you even saying Wild cooler salmon. words than us, a fjord? God dang it. <sighs> we got to go to Canada, Greg. Yeah, I mean, technically it's a fjord. They call it a sound here, but according to something I read online one time, it's it's actually a fjord. So hmm. it's, uh, yeah, it's very green, lots, lots of big trees. That's cool. 
general Canadian stuff. It sounds beautiful. It sounds like, so, okay. Uh, I'll just back up and just quickly tell people like why or how we came to come in contact with you. I have not been moved by something in years uh, more than the video Rockhouse had made, the um, student of the wild, right? And because of that, I'm just so drawn to much bigger things now, which is why the elk hunting trip that Greg and I are potentially planning uh, for 2021 is going to become a reality. I've said it out loud. No, I have to do it. But that video is so damn incredible. And now you're telling me about you know where you're from, and I'm just really uh, envious or jealous. I'm saddened by the look out my window right now in contrast to what you just described man i mean i i wouldn't be i wouldn't be sad and first of all i i appreciate that uh those words about the film and that's that's kind of exactly what we set out to do uh we tried to create something that would relate with people all over uh regardless what it is or where you live outdoors if you hopefully if you watch that and you like to hunt or fish or be outside there'll be at least a handful of clips that connect with your exact experience and then hopefully a handful more that inspire you to do something else. So if we had anything to do with you guys spending some time together outside, uh, we'll count it as a win. But uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of good stuff going on in Wisconsin. So I don't, I, it's, it's different than here, but uh, it's, it's still, it's a pretty great, great spot to be for a sportsman. That's cool. That's um, I think we just lost Greg, by the way. I think he just texted me. He'll call back in, but we do have a caller actually. So that's uh, we're going to bring him in. I think it's, I think it's Sam Soholt, but I'm not positive. Let's see. I know I said I would do that later in the show. I think, hey, Sam, is that you? Are you on the show? Are you live right now? Yeah. Yeah, that's me. Did I call in too early? No, it's okay. We're, we'll make room. I thought the, the voice transcription that I have, it just totally botches every time. So it says that you're, you are uh, Soholt, not Sam Soholt. So I had to put two and two together there. Good. The one and only well, Sam Soholt. <laughs> yep. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Yeah, you are a first-time caller, but you've been on the show before. So how about that? I have, yeah. I have been on the show. I just haven't called in before. Oh, stranger. Does it feel weird? Uh, it, it feels different, um, but, it's, but it's good. I'm, I'm happy to be on right now. Well, uh, happy Cinco de Mayo. Do you, I, I mean, are you yeah. guys friends? Do you guys know each other? Because you guys run in similar circles, and you, have both, you both have amazing work. We've never met. I'll let never met. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. We're I'm kidding. We're good friends. Nice. Nice. You had me yeah, cool. Sam's I'm I'm quite fortunate to count myself as the uh in the inner circle of at least I think of, of Mr. Sam Soholt, along with Joe Rogan and uh I'm not sure who all else. But uh yeah, no, <laughs> Sam's Sam's a good buddy and does like you say, he does great work and, and does it for a good cause too. So it's been pretty impressive seeing the momentum he's been able to get around. Um, protecting public lands and making school buses great again. <laughs> so who is that? Uh, who who? I, I, I will keep my call short. I, I honestly just wanted to call and say that, uh, that rock house has been a huge inspiration for me over the years, uh, dating back to, I mean, 2012, um, started following those guys and have just uh, looked up to them in the category of both video and photography. And, uh, I I think that uh, they collectively have probably, you know, inspired more videographers and photographers than anybody else in the business. 
Wow. That's a big statement. Especially coming from you, man. That's awesome. It's very kind. Yeah. Yeah, Sam and I have had to... It's okay. Uh, go ahead. Who wants to go? It's it's an awkward thing. We have this many people on the call. It's all right. It happens all the time. <laughs> go go ahead, Aaron. Oh, I'd say that Sam and I have had the had the pleasure of being on a couple shoots together, and it's uh, it's been fun. But there'll be more to come on that for sure. Rock on, rock on. Keep taking it to the plug. We actually hunted together in uh, in Maryland on a doing a shoot for Beretta, and uh, yeah, Sam makes things quite a bit more fun. And and uses quite a bit more ammo than the average uh, <laughs> the average participant. What's the great effect? I will say. <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> hey, when you're when you're in a blind with four cases of ammo and plenty of waterfowl flying around, you just got to do what needs to be done. Let it rip. Let it rip. And you had to tackle the plug. Probably had, you probably had to test the cycle rate of that that firearm. It's my guess. That's right. That's right. It, it passed the test. <laughs> there were there were like seven hundred empty shotgun holes that that proved that that was absolutely the case. Well, All right, well, three hundred more to go. Sam, thanks I'll for calling. Get back to the podcast. Hell but, yeah, uh, yeah. Looking forward to listening to the rest of it. Appreciate it. Have a thanks, good night, Sam. All right. See ya. See, this is the fun part about doing a live show where you can take calls. It just, uh, it's why we don't do show notes because it doesn't matter what we write down on paper. It'll just get totally blown to the wind anyway. So that's how we roll. It's fun. Sam's a, Sam's a pretty impressive guy. It's cool that you guys have had him on and he's done some awesome work and, and really moved the needle around some important causes. And he's just a super solid dude and very good hunter. So. Yeah, in terms been, of uh, been terms fun of, becoming bigger friends, and that was that was a heck of a compliment he paid there. So I probably cool. owe him one. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. I mean, we're talking about student of the wild. He's saying he's a student of of Rocco, so at least he looks up to you guys in that sense. But why don't you um, let's maybe start with talking about like how did you get into hunting? Where are you doing your hunting? Um, and what do you like to hunt? All that kind of stuff, and we'll just kind of take it from there and let it roll. Yeah, so I grew up in Ontario. Uh, northwest of Ottawa in an area that we fondly refer to as the valley. Um, grew up on a lake and did a lot of hunting and fishing there. Uh, we were able to duck hunt on our lake. So after school, I could go out in the boat and hunt the marsh across the lake, come back, and it wasn't too disruptive. Started deer hunting like everybody else in the region. We have an amazing whitetail hunting culture. Very, very poor hunting uh, as it relates to the rest of the world, but. Uh, an amazing culture around it. And so, I mean, above anything else, I'm a very obsessive person and hunting was uh, kind of what has took, grabbed and, and has held my attention over the years. And so, yeah, I mean, predominantly waterfowl, turkeys and, and whitetails growing up in Ontario. And then uh, I lived in Kansas for a while, did a lot of waterfowl hunting there. Did a lot of whitetail hunting there, which is significantly different from the Northwoods where I grew up because there's lots of deer and they're very big. And then then uh, moved back to Canada, but headed west to Alberta and have spent, uh, I guess, the last three or four seasons hunting there and then uh, out of state trips when, or out of province trips whenever I can. So I've helped out on hunts in Colorado. I generally get to Arkansas with some some good friends every year for 
waterfowl. I try and hunt Kansas whitetails and hunted Montana for elk last year and just, yeah, try and try and cruise around and, and experience everywhere that I can and, and just enjoy the journey that hunting takes me on. That's pretty cool. And are you doing a lot of that stuff on your own time or is some of that through, um, rock house or what does that look like? It's a blend. Um, over the years, things have, have sort of changed for a while. We were almost always filming hunts, but it's difficult whenever you work in a category that you really profoundly love, because if there's inherently a little bit of a shift that happens when you do something and you're working, uh, there's a responsibility and an approach that takes you, it doesn't necessarily take you out of it, but you see it differently. So what we've worked to do is create relationships with companies where we're telling stories and building content. And as they, I, I don't necessarily love that word, but fill in memory cards and, uh, and also hunting on our own, or at least with people that we would sort of choose to be with. So I guess it's never really one or the other. Like it's very rare that I, I hunt purely for, uh, you know, without a camera, but it's also rare at this point that we go somewhere in hunting season, especially in the prime the prime time, I guess, especially as it pertains to the elk and whitetail rut, whenever we're doing something um, purely for work reasons. We do still shoot quite a bit um, kind of all over the continent um, in hunting season for for brands or for different projects here and there. But we try and, you know, whenever it's prime, we try and get with people we love and, and go on, you know, adventures with the, the goddamn boys and girls, for that matter. We have... Uh, it's, we have a pretty broad group of people that we hunt with and I spend a lot of that time with my fiance in the woods. So that's cool. it's been really good. I mean, you talk about creating content and if you're doing that stuff for the outdoor industry, so to speak, then you have to capture content that is going to speak to that audience. You almost kind of have to partake in the activities that, you know, are going to resonate with them to get that stuff documented. So you have some fodder to use and create from, um, you know, do you have any favorite places you've been to that stand out most so far or any animals that you've, really been drawn to you said you grew up hunting waterfowl um and turkeys and you've done some whitetail hunting down here in the states what is that has that changed for you now that you've done some western hunts and things like that what um what's that journey been like yeah that's really an interesting question right because there's a lot of recency bias around it like um (laughs) being in canada we have such great fortune fortune with being able to access different species um in a lot more easily than some of our southern brethren so you know i've I've been able to sheep hunt a decent bit um i actually hunted with a friend sort of photographing that in the yukon last year and that was just spectacular Uh, the bonnet plume area is so rugged and so wild and it's it's absolutely gorgeous that would be a place there's some spots in colorado that i'll uh remain nameless that (laughs) I've drawn, I've built quite an infinity towards. uh, And just because of the, you know, the population density, the elk there is so fun. And, um, you know, I kind of think that my favorite place is the next one. I really like to explore and understand a new sort of herd of animals and, and a new place. And, um, there, you know, the the Wilmore in Alberta is beautiful, but really, I think that if you have the right attitude and you're you're approaching things the way that I think a good hunter should, you can kind of find the beauty and and interest in in every one of these locations and species. But when it comes to species, I would probably say uh, sheep are are my favorite because of the location, 
and the challenge. It's like a really good way to remember that you're uh, to remember what you're made of and to, to see what you have in the tank. And so I love it for that very type two kind of approach, but elk hunting for me is, is probably most aligned with the things that I love about hunting. So if I had to get, if I had to only do one, it would be elk. That's damn it. I wish you would have said that. I know I'm leading into a place that I'm going to get stuck for life, which is beautiful, but it'll be a problem, a good problem. I'm not shocked that that's what you'd said. I've been hearing it from everybody. Oh, that's good. Um, you know, you, you mentioned a couple things in that and, you know, in the spirit of everything that's going on right now, um, talking about, you know, what you're made out of and, um, you know, the grit and some of these places that you have to have to show how much you have in the tank. How do you, how did you kind of get to where you are? You know, we heard Sam's old story when we had him on the show and it was pretty incredible how one thing led to the next, to the next, to the next. And it was a lot of that, you know, momentum that created opportunities. He was good at capitalizing on those, but how did you kind of end up where you're at? Because outside of hunting, are you behind the lens? Are you business development? Like, what are you doing in that, in that space? And like, how did you get to where you are? Because, um, the places you've been, man, are beautiful. Yeah. And that's a very, um, I mean, it's a, it's a long story, but it's also, you know, I think I can sum it up fairly succinctly. Like as far as what I do, it's a blend of being behind the lens, uh, being behind the keyboard, um, you know, writing and concepting and scripting and kind of interpreting brands messaging and figuring out a way to bring that to life in, a, in something that's attention grabbing and it's beautiful and relatable and authentic. Like you mentioned, you really have to understand it to excel at it. But I think if we go back, you know, I, I had never really planned on, on doing this. I just knew that I, you know, I had confidence in myself to succeed at whatever it was I did decide to do whenever I found that thing. And, uh, essentially I finished university and then moved to Kansas to guide waterfowl. And I met my now business partners on a, uh, they were shooting for sick at the time and I was guiding and very quickly identified that they had an awesome thing going. Um, it was in its relative infancy, but it was pretty clear that they were, you know, talented, motivated people that shared, uh, sort of definitely shared my passion and also had a, a great deal of talent and, and motivation. And so essentially, you know, doors opened and, and sometimes we had to kick them down and sometimes they opened for us, but no matter what, we always walked through and we always took advantage of every opportunity that popped up in front of us, uh, or that we created. And we just always retained a focus on, you know, doing the best possible work and that changes, right. To the best, the best thing in, is always fluid. It is different in every situation with every client, every trip or every project. And, uh, yeah, we're just pretty lucky to, to be able to work in a world that we care so much about and to have the power to make work that, you know, like Pete said at the start of the show really connects with people. So, um, I think it's almost an attitude thing and, and ex expectations of yourself. You always want to make sure that your next piece is better than the last and that you, you know, you don't leave anything on the bone. And that's kind of, it's kind of what we've done, I guess, for, to try and be succinct about it. Cause it's a bit of a winding road. You definitely, you know, going back to the, the student of the wild video, uh, when you say you don't leave anything on the bone, I don't think you did. And if, if it was, it was meant to be there intentionally and you did a good job of de deliberately doing that. If that was the case, like 
the soundtrack i think was made just for that if i'm not mistaken the narration i'm not sure which came first the narration or the footage but it was in succinct perfectly i mean even the way the sound effects hit um and the way certain you know scenes transition where he's tossing up the the climbing stick and then the next scene is the deer popping up out of the grass or the the guy climbing on the ridgetop and the rocks tumbling down to the camera um I've just, I haven't seen anything put together that well before, I don't think, to be quite honest. And I don't mean to belabor this thing here, but in this time of COVID and stay at home and, you know, some of the mental anguish that people are going through, especially someone like myself as an extrovert who thrives on connectivity and being out, um, you know, the, the connection to nature, I don't think has ever been more important. And your video was like the kickoff to the last eight weeks that we've been enduring, at least for me, it's been eight weeks of working from home remote in isolation, basically from the people that I love to work with. And uh, that part, that's the part of the job that I, that I love. And without that, it's, it's kind of just, you know, it's just work. Um, Your video is very, it was very inspirational in that sense. So I almost wonder like, how did you, you guys were just, were you just sitting on this mountain of all this, sawdust of of you know b-roll footage and you decided you know we need to do something or how did it kind of come about i know it's a loaded question i ask like 20 questions when i do this but i think you get the idea (laughs) no i think i think the well yeah the the how to come about question is is one that we can work from for sure and and again i really appreciate the kind words around that because you know that was a project we didn't do for any clients we didn't really shop it as far as having somebody else then they didn't put a logo on it we decided it was something we wanted to own Pardon me? Then they didn't dictate it either, which isn't the worst thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, you know, I, I really like the challenge of adapting things to other, you know, to the sort of a brand's identity. And I think that's something that differentiates our work is we try and lead with lead with what the client or the brand or whoever the entity is we're working with. We try and lead with their perspective and adapt the creative to that. But in this case, we had our own perspective and we had our own footage and it was it was really great. It actually started with the script. Um, I wish I could remember exactly where, when I wrote it, but I remember it was a pretty low moment, uh, somewhere in the mountains when I was getting my ass kicked and things weren't going well. And, you know, you're walking back to camp and the thing is, is you, you're in this sort of physical discomfort and kind of this mental defeat, but I think the kind of overpowering thing about at least the way that I see the world is I'm just so fortunate and we're as sportsmen are so fortunate to care so much about something um, that we put ourselves through the things that we do in the vague hope that we'll be successful. And so I wrote that at the time and kind of sat on it for maybe a couple of years, year and a half. Um, And, you know, we have an outrageous asset of, you know, kind of asset base of footage that spans, you know, hunting and fishing and all over the world over many, many years. And so we, yeah, we wrote the piece and then we uh, worked with a local artist to score the song and then just kind of dug in and and tried to find sort of the best shots in each category so that regardless what it is that you like to do, um, hopefully there's something there that connects to you. And we tried to find some of the grittiest moments and, and some of the happiest ones and, and the most beautiful ones and really pull it all together into something that, uh, that hopefully help people, 
you know, that's you know, to exactly to your point, help them help them celebrate the outdoors and to be outside. But we just, you know, if anything, we just want it to inspire people to go out and go out and do more and reflect on how fortunate they are to really care about and love something to the extent where they, uh, you know, they can push themselves and their gear and their physical being and their mental being to the extent that we do to, to be successful. Cause it's, you know, win or lose, it's, it's always, uh, it's always good to come back, you know, beaten and tired and everything else and know that you gave your all right. I think that's a very rare feeling for human beings and it's something that's much less rare for us in the fall. And we're pretty grateful for that. Damn dude. Yeah. What is the, I, well put, what is the response been like other than folks like me reaching out and saying, Hey, do you want to be on a podcast? What, like, what have you heard from folks? <laughs> <laughs> it reached a lot oh, of people, didn't it? Like how many you know, people did it reach? Do you know? what the the numbers are i haven't i haven't know? checked the numbers lately probably you know somewhere it'll it'll sort of grow um we're really fortunate to have a lot of great friends in the industry who shared it like sam or um you know just key people in in different categories that that we really respect so it's been nice to have nice to have them on you know on board with sharing it but yeah i think i think the thing is is that one of the things that, that I'm most proud of is, is that some people reach out and say, man, I, this is how I've always felt. I've just never known how to say it. And that's cool. You know, being able to help people understand something that's kind of like this mysterious motivation that they have and uh, share that with the people they love. And then just, you know, a lot of people saying, man, this has sort of pushed me over the edge to go and plan something or do something or get out there and, you know, I, uh, it's everybody that reaches out. It's, it's actually really meaningful to us because one of those strange things about making film is if you're in a, you know, you're a rock star or something, you play a concert and there's all kinds of screaming fans and, you know, they like it because they're there. But for us, it's so decentralized that some people might like this and, and watch it and never say anything. And so we don't really know. It's a number on the view count, but, you know, cat videos get 4 million views in a day. So in the grand scheme of things, our viewership numbers are, are sort of hard to go by, but we really value that uh, the impact that the work that we do can have more so than the, the volume of people that see it. And so when people reach out and, and say things like they have and like you guys did, and it really does mean a lot. Well, the impact is pretty major. I mean, quite honestly, it's effectively changing the course of my life right now. Um, I, I it, I'm not someone that's easily inspired. I usually, you know, as a marketer, I can see how all that stuff, I can, I know how the sausage is made. So it's rare that something will come across my screen that I'm going to a take the time to watch. And the, the reason that I even took the time to watch is because it was so loud from all of these people in the industry. I'm like, okay, I guess I need to watch this because everyone's watching it. What is this all about? And it gripped me immediately, you know? Um, and then the message was so powerful. I mean, in fact, so you wrote that yourself a couple of years ago. That's crazy. That's, that's a, you've articulated it so well. I mean, Greg, what, what are your thoughts? I'm just going crazy here. Like I thought I would. Um, and I want to make sure I give Greg the, the air to ask questions he has too. It's hard when he's not physically here with me to do these shows. Well, no, I don't really have too many questions, but very inspirational piece you know we can sit here and 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 blow at you and tell you how great you are because you are so good um and <laughs> <laughs> the uh i 
I enjoyed it. You know, and Eric, I think you're the one that told me, dude, you got to watch this. And I, I don't know how many people feed that I follow on social that had put this out there. So I watched part of it, I think, and then I got interrupted. And then I went back and watched the whole thing again after you had said something, Eric. And, uh, yeah, just the footage is stellar. Uh, the narration's awesome. The music, everything's perfect with it. Uh, very very inspirational for anybody who isn't going out and doing something, you know, this should get them off their ass and get them out there doing it. Wanting to see the vistas, get the views, see the, see the animals. And yeah. Well, the connection, the connection with nature is incredible. When you talk about it as a student of the wild and you're treating it that way as a teacher, I mean, that's how I grew up. That's what did it for me. That's why I um, probably resonated with me so much is, I didn't have, um, you know, certain things growing up. And, and that was my, that was my uh, release in a major way. I mean, it shaped me quite, quite, quite a bit. And those silent moments that you talked about, those are the big ones for me. But then the adventurous ones where you're pushing yourself, you get to measure yourself almost um, in some of these moments and see what you're truly made of. I mean, you're not, you're not trying to put a ball in an end zone or in a hoop or in a, in a hole on a green. It's just, you and the whatever, the wind, the hill, the waves. And when you kind of push yourself against that, that's a real measure, I think. And, uh, you know, that's why hunting is so valuable. When you're doing things like that in wild places, even if it's a swamp here in Wisconsin or a mountain in Colorado or the ocean over where you're at, um, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter when you're connecting that way. It's, it's more indelible. Those memories, you're creating memories that are going to solder themselves into your brain forever. You never remember the video game you played on the couch. You never remember the moment where you headshotted someone. It doesn't matter. That's like on a screen. It's not going to leave a mark. Um, but these other moments in the outdoors, when you're chasing whitetail elk and you're embarking on a new adventure, you'd said the the best place you've been is the one you're going. It's because it's this uncertainty that you're framing out and creating this new space in your mind for. That's the moments that I, those are the moments that I live for. I never take any chance I can get off the beaten trail. I always say like, don't follow me because I'm going to take you to a place like it's not going to be fun or pretty. We're going to get in some weird shit. And that's the fun of it for me. I can't tell me times I've gotten stuck in a Tamarack swamp or something weird or climb some hill or, or face that I shouldn't have or jumped into some water that was too cold to jump into and, um, but I'll never forget any of those things. That's the, that's the value of it. Yeah. And I think that, um, well, again, I, I really appreciate all that. And it's just, it just comes down to, you know, the reason that we, the kind of the key line as a student of the wild is because it all comes down to, I think success is very closely tied to curiosity. Speaking about success, let's take a quick moment to get into the, the shot of the week. Shot of the Week is brought to you by Vector Custom Shop. Arrows built to your specs, and they show up at your doorstep. Uh, the easiest way to engage with that product or their product is to check out their two-pack sampler pack. And uh, you know, when you buy their arrows, they're going to ask you a bunch of really valuable and important questions about your setup and your hunting style and the game that you do hunt to properly get these things built to your specs. Um, head on over to VectorCustomShop.com and if you want to save 10%, I highly recommend you save 10%, entering code WHERE2HUNT 
and that's where the number two, the word hunt to get that 10% off. Our story for this week's shot of the week comes from listener Zach Hoheisel. Let's hear what Zach has to say about his shot of the week. So I was hunting my number one buck digger. He was about 145 inch eight pointer. I'd been chasing him all year. Um, and I was sitting in my stand and all of a sudden he was out there at 50 yards and it was a long cat and mouse. He ended up walking away. I called him back. And before I knew what he had followed another 10 pointer right below my stand. He was at 23 yards. Um, I came to full draw and I knew I was shaky. I knew I, I wasn't ready. So I pulled my kisser button off my lips, took a deep breath, settled the pin in and put and pulled the trigger. And um, unfortunately, my little bit low i still to this day am not sure what i did wrong other than punching that trigger maybe a little too hard um it was a heartbreaker i ended up just scathing his belly um but luckily the deer lived and even though it didn't result in a kill that is definitely my most memorable shot hey zach thanks so much for sharing your story with us about uh, the shot of the week and uh thanks again for also being a caller on today's show let's get back into our interview and asking the right questions and understanding that when you get the answer to that question there will just be three more questions and just embracing that and uh, seeing where it takes you. Hell yeah. Right. Yeah. I think well, that's, uh, sure. that's pretty crucial. Greg's right. We can keep blowing this stuff. Were there any day. thoughts or like, go ahead. Go ahead. Were no. there any moments from the, from the piece that specifically stood out or connected with you guys? I mean, man, I feel like I just listed a bunch of them. Um, I paid special attention in detail to just how it was done. You know, and I tried to like experience it rather than watch it. It really kind of took over for the two minutes that it ran. And um, yeah, the silent moment parts where people are, are you know, in the woods bow hunting and, and you take a minute to slow. This is a fast paced world. Everything's immediate. We want everything right now or as quickly as possible. You had a lot of, yeah, you had a lot of slow motion shots there. Like the honeybee hovering. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I, I like seeing the slow motion stuff. I think it's cool, but it takes a lot of time to, to develop all that stuff. I'm sure, you know, setting the camera right and, and then you probably even slowing it down more. So in a computer program, um, what kind of education did you end up going through to, to learn how to do all this? I guess that's a question that's kind of deviating us. Yeah, I actually went to school for conservation biology and business. Um, okay. Everything that we've done technically. So one first thing, like my business partner, Matt White, is an absolute technical genius. So I get to focus on the big picture stuff. He gets to focus on the nuance of how to execute it. So, you know, what cameras and lenses and you know, monitors and everything else, computers, we need to run it, color grading, everything. He's brilliant in that regard. But uh, all of us have a pretty high level of technical competency. And frankly, like it's all on YouTube. It's all on blogs, you know, tutorials. It's a very sort of democratized learning environment where if you want to know, you can generally find out. And there's so much expertise shared in that way that we've been able to access a lot of that and learn a lot of that. And frankly, for, as it pertains to this, uh, we're essentially our entire team is self-taught and continue to try and, you know, leverage the, 
opportunities we have to get better at everything sort of constantly. So sure. I, I we have the ability to from a school standpoint. Oh, I think that's pretty cool. You, you have a, a way of furthering your education all the time. You know, I'm in the trades, plumbing, heating, and I'm, I work for a company now that um, I'm in a position where I get to help people further their education on product or how to install it or whatever. So, but like you said, YouTube is a, a pretty big thing. And I don't know, I've read something somewhere that stupid people watch YouTube videos. Well, yeah, sort of. I mean, we're, we're kind of dumb. We're trying to learn something. So uh, no excuse. Yeah. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff on YouTube, right? I think that's a pretty absurd yeah. comment. But, yeah, it is. <laughs> we, we do have... Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's it's all about what you choose to do. I say we do have sure. uh, a couple callers in the queue. I'll bring them in. I think it's a good time to maybe open up some questions before we get to, um, you know, the, the most memorable hunt. But we'll bring on Anthony Heller uh, out of Madison. You're live on the show. How are you doing, Anthony? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for taking my call, guys. Absolutely, man. You do a bunch of videography stuff and... You help us out on the show with the uh, the tip of the week, so thanks for calling in. Yeah, you bet. And I'm not – I do a lot, but I don't do nearly what Aaron does. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, my question that I was wondering is uh, when, when – Aaron, when you guys go to – like I just recently watched your early riser film, which is pretty awesome. Uh, and when you guys go to put something like that together – how much of the storyboard would you say is baked before you even get on site versus uh, like, you know, just kind of after the fact, you're like, all right, we got all this footage. What are we going to do with it? That's a really good question. And it really varies. I know that that's probably not what you want to hear. No, but, that's uh, fine. For the most part, a lot of it is predetermined. In some cases, we literally will have every single shot. Uh, we have a Cabela's. Um, brand anthem that we've posted semi recently that you know every single shot is drawn out beforehand we talk about where the shot starts where it ends and we sort of script everything within it um, other times like student of the wild you have a, a message and you have a ton of footage and you find the pieces that go with it I think that the early riser film is probably right in the middle um, the reality with hunting and fishing is that a lot of things when it's live action you really can't script it but what we do is we set a list of, of kind of the, the must-haves, which is what you sort of see in the front end of that film. Uh, what we really knew with that is we wanted to set out to make people understand what it feels like to catch these fish. The reality with tarpon is they're in a small geographic region. They're very challenging to catch, uh, but they are absolutely awesome. And so we wanted to kind of communicate the experience and kind of the, the feeling that goes with um, – that and so what we did is we, we sort of knew the things we needed to get as far as the run of show in in regards to how the day goes and what uh, some of the key moments are that build energy and we hoped that we would get a fish and when we got a fish we had sort of three shots we wanted to get that were really key we wanted to get the vertical jump shot we wanted to get the jump with the angler in the background and we wanted to get a shot of the tarpon eating which was like kind of a mission impossible thing but we ended up checking off all three and, you know, that is obviously largely based on good fortune, but also working with a great angler and just thinking, you know, if things go well, what's it going to look like? If they go, okay, what that's, what's that going to look like? And understanding once you have the, the things you need, 
to what extent you can kind of go for broke and, and try and get the best possible thing. Because if, if we didn't have sort of some backup stuff, we may never have gotten those shots, but since we were able to catch three or four fish during the day, by the time we caught the fish in the, that we used in the film, we were able to really hyper-focus on kind of best case scenario and somehow it all worked out. Good question, Anthony. Uh, that's awesome. No, I really appreciate that. That insight makes a lot of sense. Rock I on. think, yeah, the, the thing is, is you want to, uh, you want to make sure that you have a, a clear vision for what it is you're trying to accomplish because if you don't you're going to go shoot everything and you're going to be at home trying to make a piece of work that's different than the last thing you did but the thought process and the way that you approached it was the same so unless the environment is drastically different or you have some unique event uh it's not going to be it's it's going to look fairly similar so just kind of think about whatever it is that you're doing and the spirit of it and the people you're with and even if it's just understanding the energy or the focus, you're going to change the way that you view things and shoot things, and that'll put you in a much better position when it comes time to edit. But uh, it's not all about drawing out the storyboards, but that can be a really worthwhile investment if you're doing something super specific or working with a large team where you're not going to always be on the camera. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I, that makes total sense. Appreciate it. Thanks for the call, Anthony. Anytime. Yeah, you bet. Enjoy. The, I'll enjoy the rest of the podcast. Right, sounds good, buddy. Bye. <laughs> I'd have to say that that's really incredible advice considering you mentioned it's live action so it's how do you storyboard something if you don't know what's going to happen but you actually articulate the answer really well I'm actually um, happy to have heard that because I struggled with that in the past we're going to bring on um, another caller real quick we got Zach out of Appleton, Wisconsin uh, he's called in before Zach you're live on the show how you doing buddy? I'm doing good how are you guys? doing well <clears throat> happy to have you um, so first of all, great question about the previous dude. That's actually something I was going to ask as well. But um, I also just wanted to say to Aaron, um, great work on Suit in the Wild. That is one. I'm kind of similar to Eric. I, I work in the marketing world and I actually do photography and videography for a living too. So I'm not easily impressed. And that was one that I sent to everyone I know. And in the photo and video world that I work in, it's in kind of a different environment it's not in the outdoor industry and I always have a hard time articulating it to my the team that I work with because I feel like they don't get it and I just sent it to our group chat and said listen this guy did a way better job encapsulating what I feel than I could ever do um, and that was really awesome so thank you for that that was such an inspiring film thanks those are those are super kind words and I, I love that I uh, hopefully hopefully you swayed an opinion or two with that um being able to share that along. Yeah, for sure. But I, my biggest question is, so I am for my day job, I'm in the photo and video world and I'm doing stuff like that every day. And I feel like I'm getting better and better, but I also have a, I like to film my own outdoor experiences and stuff like that. And one of the biggest frustrations I run into is I can never get the quality that I'm looking for being that I'm, you know, both the hunter the subject and the, the videographer, the subject and the photographer. And um, it's just, it, I've run into a lot of frustration of never being able to get the quality that I want in that way. And obviously I love hunting. That's why I do all this, but I want to take my um, photo and video game to the next game in the hunting world. I guess I'm just wondering what your recommendations would be for someone that, 
you know, does photography and videography for a living, but isn't quite happy with the industry they do it in. Um, how would you look at getting more into the outdoor industry and that and expanding on your skills that way? That's a good question. There's a few parts to that. Um, so first off, when you say quality, what do you mean? Is that like image quality or story or what, what is that specifically? Uh, so a little bit like, it's, especially in the video world, um, I, a lot of my videos tend to end up being kind of like that vlog style just because it's really easy for me to produce and it's a really fast turnaround. And be, like I said, because I'm self-filming, it's much easier for me to just, as I'm going, hold my camera out, flip it around and face it towards me rather than get, you know, set up dynamic lighting and get everything all, all set. I kind of just, it, it looks like a vlog rather than a film. Yeah, so I think that the 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 thing with that is is maybe um, one of the things that I tell people is like think about when you go out and you're in the truck in the morning driving there and you're like, man, I can't wait for the sun to come up or to hear the birds or to you know I, ideally see and shoot a giant deer, you know. But like, what are the things along the way that that you really connect with? Maybe it's a little like a little creek you always jump over or anything like that. And, and try and identify the points along the way that make the experience important to you that you really connect with and that inspire you beyond uh, kind of the, the broader hope of hunting success and dive into the details of, of what are the things that make the outdoor experience so rich and then shoot that. Um, you don't always have to be in the shot. You know, a lot of the times it makes it more difficult to make a compelling image with a person in it. So if you can just sort of think of what those environmental things are and focus on them and then try and think about, you know, how do you, how do you hunt or how do you enjoy your time outside that might be different or what do you think is a perspective that you can bring that isn't necessarily being brought? And again, with the way that you speak and, the, and storytell and everything else, but also the way you capture imagery, try and reflect that. As far as uh, succeeding in a different in, in, or industry, the same truths are always going to apply, right? You need to create uh, good work efficiently. And so that means you need to be fast and you need to have an established process and you need to be able to adapt your, your process or your look or your language or whatever to the people that you work with. Um, it's very, very rare in today's world to be like a transcendent individual person that a brand's just like, hey, do whatever you want. And we'll put our logo at the end of it. That that doesn't necessarily really ever happen, uh, especially in this category. So the stuff that you're doing every day is probably great, right? Develop an understanding of lighting. Develop an understanding of different lenses, what that makes you feel, you know, camera movement, when to move a camera, when to control it. And, and just try and think about not just the mechanics of making all of those things happen, and look good, but also how does it make you feel when something's done a certain way? How do you make people feel uncomfortable or anxious or tense or the opposite, you know, relaxed and enthralled? And uh, I think another really key piece is, is thinking of it beyond just the visuals and also, you know, from a sound signature standpoint, whether that's uh, sound design or music, paying attention to those things as well, because whenever you put a finished body of work together, the images are just a part of it. And that's kind of the beauty of film is that you're, you're kind of appealing to people in all these different senses and just see where you can leverage those different senses to set up, to tell a, a more robust story. But I would not uh, be discouraged by the fact that you don't work specifically in the outdoors. I think some of the best um, 
the best shooters are developed in other places. And, and frankly, uh, some of the, the best work is done by people that have to do it. If you go to work and you have to make great imagery or, you know, tell a great story in a confined environment when you don't have to rely on some great natural phenomenon to do it, you're probably better equipped to to do a better job capturing it when you do have some that in the outdoors. So being able to create uh, sort of under pressure and on a timeline is is really a huge asset that will differentiate you if you start doing commercial work in our category. Awesome. Thank you very much for that. That was, that was great advice. Oh yeah. Thank you so Thanks much. Thanks for the questions. Good, Good luck. Questions, Zach. Appreciate it. Happy single to mile, man. Go take a shot at tequila or something. I'm drinking Coronas right now. <laughs> All right. All right. We'll catch you later, man. All these Scotty boys getting cultured. I like it. <laughs> I think, um, man, you, you, it's, it's very apparent. I'm happy to have you as a guest. We might have to have you back because this is a topic we've touched on before. We've had, uh, some of the guys from chase nation and we've had Sam on, um, a few others, Anthony too, but you know, a lot of these guys are doing the self filming stuff and, um, it is a challenge. You want to capture the heat of the moment. It seems like that's the focal point. There's a, there's a videographer I followed a long time ago and I think he's changed quite a bit. Since then, I think back in like 2012, 13, 14-ish, I used to consume a lot of YouTube content from a guy named uh, Devin Supertramp. And as a videographer, I don't know if you know who that is, if you've seen his work. Uh, I do not offhand. Um, he would focus on, first of all, he shot great work. It was really cool. Like I think I found him because I was Googling cliff jumping because that was something I was into for some time. And... Uh, <laughs> I found some of his videos. I was like, oh, cool. And I just started checking out his channel. He had all sorts of fun stuff like bikes going off jumps into ponds and, and, you know, weird stuff like that. But he would focus the very beginning of the video on audio only. So you'd hear like a really rich format of just the audio. You'd still see the, the you know, the imagery um, happening, but there'd be a focus on the audio and, and the specific sound effects. So in this example of like a bike going into a pond off this big jump, it was like you hear the, the, the sprocket clicking and then you hear the, the tires on the dirt and it hits the ramp and there's this plank. And then as soon as it hits water, boom, the beat drops, the music kicks in, everyone's having a good time. But that focus on some of these sounds very early on, I think that's how you guys on the Suit of the Wild video captivated me was that similar style where it was like, you know, the, the ducks and then the elk and, and there was just this, the bees buzzing. There's this rich sound first and, um, you know, in your nature, that's one of the senses that gets heightened, I think, more than anything, especially when it's dark out. Yeah, that's one of the funny listen. things about web video, too, is that you only have so much time to hook people. Mm -hmm. So, like, ideally, I really love that segment, but, like, I, I wouldn't, we wouldn't necessarily have needed it. But because you have such short online attention span, we wanted to lead with something that was very uh, sort of diverse and and curious, right? Like we didn't want to show all our cards. You go from bumblebees to orcas to wild turkeys and, you know, pheasant flushing and everything else. So like it, we, we kind of wanted to throw people a change up and just make sure it was like kind of rich and immersive and, uh, and go from there. So yeah, I, I think sound is a, it's a, it's an absolutely crucial element and it's such an art to get it, to get it right, you know, to make it sound authentic, but also to be engaging because, you know, a lot of that stuff, what does a bumblebee sound like? Well, you know, but what does a bumblebee sound like at a thousand frames a second? 
right? Yeah. Like, yeah, it's cool. a totally different ball game. Well, you yeah. mentioned you mentioned so you kind of have to you have to time the wing beats to the wing flaps and everything else. So it's it's a little different world. You you mentioned to our last caller Zach like focus on some of the things like you um, pay attention to on your way out whether it's hopping a creek or what have you. And one of the things that stood out to me I used to hunt the Northwoods in the Nicolay National Forest. This dead, barren, freezing cold land. There was it was lifeless by and large. And then you get this this flock of life come through. What are those tiny, tiny little birds? They're like you know wild finches or something. Me, me, me. They come through. Yeah. They land on the tree, and it was like. It was my favorite part of hunting, I think, was seeing these tiny little finches come through, pick at the bark, come through, you hear the little wings, going from one tree to the next, and then their little calls, me, 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 and then, and then they're gone. But it was this flicker of life in this barren, cold, desolate place, and it was like, wow. And then, and then I'd look down, and sure enough, there'd be a field mouse, and you could hear him scurrying around on the leaves. And um, those are the silent moments when I when I think about when you stop to slow down, let nature come to life around you that you normally don't pay attention to that stuff. But that's a moment that like, if I had a camera in hand and a good mic, that's something that I would want to capture because that's a, an important moment to me. Yeah. The challenge is a lot of like almost, that stuff's almost impossible to record. So you kind of have to recreate it in studio afterwards. Mm-hmm. So it's like taking that memory and then rebuilding it um, with sound design. And that's a, that's a challenge. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, I think those are called snow buntings, those specific birds you're talking about. Oh, and I cool. totally know what you're talking, what you mean. Yeah, Greg's my go-to we, uh, guy for these types of things. He knows all of these answers. I don't know everything. <laughs> you know quite a bit, dude. I bet you know what birds those are too. You son of a bitch. Well, they could be. They could be. They could be uh, chickadees. You know, you'll, you'll hear them for miles. Though it seems like, especially when the woods is quiet, they'll be hopping branch and branch to branch and singing their song and you'll hear their, their wing beats and they'll, you know, they'll land in the branches right above you or they'll land on your arrow when it's knocked in, in your bow. And yeah, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool to see that. Or you hear a flock of wood ducks fly over and you know, you know, a flock of wood ducks when you hear them because they have a distinct sound and it's usually, you know, a half dozen or more. So you hear them flying over. There's a lot of a lot of cool stuff to experience just going out deer hunting or even for a walk in the woods to scout. Oh yeah. Well, um, I think we we pumped out the call queue for now, but if you, I think we we're getting close to time. But I think we're good. And and at this point, I'd love to hear if we've planted the seed appropriately before we hit the record button. If you're um, a memorable hunt has kind of come to top of mind. If you'd want to share that with us, we'd love to hear it. Especially coming from you, man, with all of your experiences, yeah. I'm kind of I'm kind of excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a tough question because uh, I get to hunt a lot, and I get to hunt with some really great people and um, in some wild places. But I think that I think that probably my most memorable hunt uh, it would be a toss up. Have you guys seen the film Beyond the Roar that we made? I don't, not yet. I might, I might have. I was doing a lot of scouting, but I don't know if I caught that one specifically. Yeah, I'm gonna have to now. That would be one of them. But uh, since there's a film about that, I'll use it. A different answer. Um, probably my first, and actually my only bull elk that I've killed would be the the most memorable because we'd moved to Alberta. Um, prior to that, 
I, you know, I grew up in Ontario, lived in Kansas and I've always loved calling animals in. Right. So whether that was ducks or turkeys or whatever, catching fish, I love the moment when there's an animal and you coerce it in whatever way to make a decision that ends up ending in very much in your favor. And it's, it's different than, uh, kind of ambush hunting like you normally do with deer where it's like this study of this, you know, immense amount of information that allows you to make a wise decision that is also based off understanding an animal, but it's not, uh, you're not sort of winning the moment you're winning, winning a long game. And so because of that, I knew I was going to love elk hunting. Uh, and when I moved to Alberta, there were a lot of people like, Oh yeah, it'll take you a couple of years to figure it out. And, you know, obviously I was obstinate and, really thought that we could get it done right away. And I think we were like nine days into the season and generally had hardly been able to find elk. And Alberta's got about a 5% success rate on uh, archery elk tags, which is probably a bit of a fake number because a lot of people in Alberta just buy tags just in case kind of thing. Um, but we were hunting public land and we have some really good friends that, you know, have become better friends over the years that have given us tips about where to go and how to handle things and what areas to check out. And, so we're in one of those areas and I found, uh, you know, I was running along bugling as much as I could and couldn't ever get an answer. And then one night I was, I was glassing and ended up finding elk. So they were in a spot and I saw what I considered at that time to be the biggest elk on planet earth. Uh, it, it wasn't, but it was probably, probably the biggest one in the area at least. And it was, had a crazy herd of, uh, herd of cows, which is pretty rare for our part of the world, like 20, 30, cows with it and I was with my dad and one of uh kind of our mutual friends really his dad's friend but it's somebody I've grown up with and they're both from out east and had never hunted the mountains before and so it was kind of a wild adventure for the three of us none of us really knew what was going on I certainly had a bit of an upper hand just from the amount of research I'd done but it was kind of uncharted territory and so we made a plan on these things and it actually worked uh, the wind came out of where it was supposed to come out of. We probably went about five miles in the dark. I wouldn't let them use headlamps and everybody's falling. And those boys are up almost into their sixties and not necessarily in mountain shape. So they, <laughs> they were sucking wind uh, to say the least. And we ended up getting in the right spot and hearing a bugle. And uh, because of my absolute obsession with calling, I'd spent months and months and months learning to call. And I finally had a chance to kind of get it on and, and have a conversation. And one of the things that you always hear is uh, when you're moose hunting, oh, don't grunt at them and they'll run away. Or you don't want to gobble at turkeys, it'll push them off. You don't want to bugle at elk, like you don't bugle at them. They know a bugle when they hear it. They all run to the hills. That's always like the local, local old boy take on things. But I'm like, enough. Uh, I fired up the bugle. And, um, he answered and then I just challenged him and, uh, challenged him again. And it just, it happened so fast, but I'll never forget just hearing him answer and being like, man, he seems pretty rowdy. And then, Ooh, wow. He seems rowdy and he's closer. And then it was like, okay, he's going to explode. Like he's just screaming. And I kind of ducked into the trees and, there was this little game trail that I kind of hoped that he would come on. And I had this tiny, tiny little like basketball size window. And uh, yeah, the elk ended up 
charging up the hill, responding to the challenge of the bugle, and then froze about 20 or came over the hills about 20 yards away and sort of scanned the flat that I was standing on. And uh, I was archery hunting and just froze. And I was like, man, he's going to turn around. Like, there's no way he's going to come up on this flat. Hopefully it's thick enough that he feels like he needs to go a little bit further to survey the scene. Cause I'd thrown everything at him, all the chuckles and grunts and spitballs and everything. And uh, sure enough, he just came charged, like trotting angrily down this trail. He, there was like a tree that was falling and he ducked his head under it. When he ducked his head under it, I drew my bow. And as he was trotting, I didn't even stop him. I just kind of gave him the old, gave him a bit of a lead, which is not highly recommended in archery circles. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I picked my spot and made the shot. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it's like winning the freaking Stanley Cup. And I, I just couldn't believe it. I still kind of can't believe it. It was a herd bull, called him away from the cows, shot him at 11 yards. Um dad and his buddy of course made did a really good job of convincing me that i'd made a bad shot because there wasn't an immediate outpouring of blood because they're whitetail guys and they're like you know usually when it's good it's good right away and elk are a different creature but we ended up finding him and six trips later he was back in the truck and got into the alberta genuine drafts and that yeah that was that so i i don't know if that's a, an <laughs> adequate description Cap- but essentially it was Cap- kind of against the odds and an Eastern boy in the West. And it was really approving, you know, I, I proved a lot to myself. Uh, and I suppose other people, but more importantly to myself that I could take my, my understanding of animals that I accrued over the course of my life and then count on my resilience and, and staying power to, to keep at it and attack every day. Like it's the scarce opportunity that it is. And in the end it worked out and yeah, I haven't, uh, I've been on a lot of elk hunts since then, and I, my fiance and I returned to that area and killed her first ever archery animal the next year, which was extremely memorable. And I actually got my dad back out with a bow and a tag, and and he killed his first ever archery animal when he turned he was sixty. So um, we went three for three in that unit with in in that area on the five percent. So pretty proud of that, I guess. That's really cool, man. We'll have to chat when we start getting a little closer to planning. Not that I want to encroach an area. I wouldn't have any type of uh, points to get to anything good. Probably it'll be the first time, but any uh, gotcha. Yeah, you can't come anyways. I'm safe in Alberta. I can tell you all the dirty details, and you won't be able to get up there because we don't have any non-resident hunting without outfitters. (laughs) But yeah, I I could probably point you in a few directions down south. That's great. How do people, um, we'll wrap up. How do people find Rockhouse Motion? I mean, like, is there, you're already working with a lot of big brands from the sounds of it, but is there... You know, are there any little guys that would benefit from doing business with them? Can they even afford you guys? You know, how can folks engage or like, where do you want to point folks? Is it to your personal stuff, the business stuff, a little bit of both? You take your pick. Yeah, it's a little bit of both. I think, uh, you know, if you are a film person or if you have any creative aspirations, our Vimeo is a really great spot to spend some time. Um, that's just, just Google Rockhouse Motion and I'm sure Vimeo will pop up and there's some great, uh, well, I think they're great pieces in there. Is it from a variety of things, right? Some of them are we, you know, we made a film at the Indy Five, the Indy Five Hundred last year. That was uh, not, not not necessarily the norm of the stuff we've talked about here, but the same principles apply, and lots of great hunting stuff on there. And then uh, our Rockhouse Motion Instagram, we've started a series called Before Your Eyes, which is which is essentially a behind the scenes look at the approach that we take to doing the work that we do. 
Um, that's at Rockhouse Motion on Instagram. And, you know, you guys have been very, very kind and the call has been very, very kind to me personally. But the reality of what we do is it really is a team sport. Um, you know, I'm lucky to be in a position where I can I can really direct and facilitate and kind of quarterback things. But the reality is we have an incredibly talented team and um, none of the things that you guys or anybody's enjoying that we do would be possible if I did it on my own. So our team is, uh, is pretty vast. I'm going to just sort of, you guys can figure out the spelling, but to find them on Instagram, it would be Matt White Rockhouse, Dustin underscore Rockhouse, uh, Colin Photogram, C. Lucas Clark, now to Aoki Photography, and then my fiance, who's also a producer at Rockhouse, and that's Logan Ray Ross. Uh, and I'm at Aaron Hitchens. So uh, if you want to get a feel for the whole crew, that's that's how you do it. And um, yeah, I really appreciate anybody that took the time to listen, and I appreciate you guys for having me on. Yeah, man, absolutely. Thanks so much. What a what a fun topic and conversation. I mean, it was uh, quite a bit, quite the adventure as I suspected it would be. Um, man, I I don't. I guess that's it. I, I, we'll, we'll end it there. We'll end the live feed anyways, folks. So thanks for tuning in. Uh, thanks for the, the guys that called in. We appreciate it. Super good questions. Uh, great practical answers. We appreciate it. Yeah, no hecklers. I'm kind of surprised. We've had pranksters in the past. None today. When we get into hunting season, that'll get louder. <laughs> but we've done a good job of screening those guys out. Nope. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll, awesome. Uh, well, thanks, guys. We'll get this thing produced tonight. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the news segment of the show brought to you by eHunter Electronic Hunt Resource. They are your go-to site for anything and everything hunting related. eHunter is the last one-stop shop resource you will ever need. Uh, today, they're going to be covering their headlines from the last week. Uh, Casey's going to lead us on that. So Casey, let's hear what you got to say. What's up, everybody? This is Casey with eHunter. That's the letter E, the word hunt, and the letter R, eHunter.com. Appreciate some time here to give you a, a, a recap of last week's headlines. Uh, we had a few more photos come out in the Legends Never Die series. That Legends Never Die photo series commemorates iconic trophy bucks, mule deer, from Western landscapes, most of which were never harvested, which makes it really interesting to see these photos. Um, in Oregon, a couple headlines out of out of that state. Apparently, there was a survey that found that over 80% of Oregon residents are okay with setting up state funding for protecting migration corridors, including wildlife bridges. Uh, Oregon is also reducing deer and elk tag numbers. Deer tags are being reduced due to several diseases impacting deer herds, and elk tags are being reduced due to meeting herd herd objectives. Uh, the article there for the tag numbers has a complete breakdown of all those numbers. Uh, in other news, the nonprofit One Green Planet is petitioning to ban children from trophy hunting. In Though the group does not define trophy hunting, what they're specifically targeting is international African safari trophy hunting. Uh, apparently, Ricky Gervais, a famous comedian, has uh, backed them and made comments about how uh, passing down these traditions is sickening and heartless. And in the article, uh, 
that they released, they just share a lot of incorrect and purposefully misleading information specifically about species in Africa that they're hunting that are endangered and is just not true. In Louisiana, there was a drive-by shooting at Willie Robertson's house from Duck Dynasty. No one was injured. Uh, shortly after the incident, a suspect had been arrested. I don't know how they didn't get shot back at. Uh, in Colorado, Colorado Parks and Wildlife is seeking um, input on 10-year pronghorn management plans. Uh, this affects three different pronghorn herds across seven different game management units. Again, this is a 10-year management plan, and deadlines for public comment are coming up later this month. Uh, and then lastly, kind of big ticket news, also out of Colorado. On April 30th, the vote was 8-3 to three to ban hunting competitions in Colorado. It's no longer legal to organize hunting contests. Uh, these types of hunts are held to thin varmint and predator populations. In Colorado, that means prairie dogs and coyotes. And in recent years, there's been several states have, that have banned these types of hunts. So uh, to wrap us up here, we are you know, always working on expanding our coverage and, and touching on the things that are important to people. So whatever feedback and suggestions you have to provide we are more than open and welcoming to that so contact us through any of our social media outlets that's facebook instagram linkedin and also always through the website you can just go contact us there if you'd like so thanks take care all right the tip of the week this has been said to be some folks favorite segment of the show so congrats you made it and anthony heller with Deerman has made this segment so much better and also anthony thanks so much for being the caller on today's show we really appreciate it it's such a great question for our guest aaron so good stuff let's hear what you have to say this week oh and real quick before i let you get on to your stuff folks make sure you head on over to deerbane.com and uh poke around and see what anthony's got going on over there What's up, everyone? This week's tip of the week is centered around cameras, and it's kind of in keeping with the whole podcast. I hope you guys really enjoyed uh, having Aaron Hitchens on. He's a great dude and has a ton of awesome information. But uh, my tip of the week, as far as cameras go, uh, people are really getting into cameras because of Instagram and Facebook and just being able to capture your hunt and the affordability of them. And my biggest piece of advice with cameras with people just starting out is A, don't be afraid to buy used equipment. And do your research, figure out what it costs uh, brand new, and then see, make sure that you're buying a good deal. But don't be afraid to buy used equipment, especially from a camera store or B&H Photo, which is kind of the number one uh, online retailer for camera gear. But also, don't go big right off the bat. You know, don't drop two, three, four thousand dollars $4,000 on your first setup. Because you might not use it as much as you think. So start out small. Spend $500 to $700 uh, on your first setup. And especially if you're going with a DSLR or a mirrorless camera, that should really get you in the in the first stages, uh, the, the kind of the prelim or the starting out mode for cameras. And then uh, assuming you use it a lot, then you work your way up. And if you buy used, you really shouldn't lose a lot of value. So I hope that helps, guys. You got any questions, direct them towards Aaron, or uh, you can find me at Deervane on Instagram or Facebook. All right, catch you guys later.
Awesome. Anthony, thanks so much for the great tip. And that is really good advice. I would second that. Um, next week, we bring on guest uh, Greg, the accessible hunter. Uh, that should be a really fun topic. I've heard great things about him as a guest on other shows. So I'm really uh, kind of enthused and excited to hear what he's going to have to say. We, you know, we get the chance to talk to so many people that are just gritty, motivational, badass um, guys and gals. And there's so much more that comes out of the show than just hunting tactics and tips. We get a lot of that too. But, uh, you know, we love that we can cover a lot of ground and different topics and talk to different companies and people and personalities, et cetera, and share a lot of knowledge. And again, we want to remind everybody, this is a call-in show. This is your show. You can call in. We open the phone lines up to you so you can ask questions and share stories. So as you notice, like we have a lot of other voices on this show. We want it to be that way. Um, I suspect not everyone wants to hear me and Greg ramble on forever. But uh, if you love the show, what we're doing, and you found some value out of it, whether it's this episode or a past one or hopefully a future one, uh, please leave us a review on iTunes. Those things help us a whole bunch. It keeps the eye on the prize for us so we know that it's being heard, that you actually are listening. It's a way for us to go, oh, yeah, people do listen to this darn thing. We appreciate those reviews a whole, whole bunch. And if you want to... Um, enter into our big giveaway that we're doing at the end of June. We still have one more product to buy and maybe a couple of the partners to come on board. But essentially what we're doing is if you subscribe to become a Patreon member, the link is in the bio on Instagram, uh, we're going to draw one of those members in uh, June, the end of June, June 30th. And uh, that's it. You're going to win a whole mess of stuff. And the odds are really good because we don't have a whole lot of Patreon members yet. So the more folks that join that, the more money we get to go buy stuff for that giveaway so we take the money you're paying as a subscriber and we put that right back into the prize that you're going to win and uh, when you sign up we're going to send you a sticker and a can koozie right out of the gate because hey it's okay anyway thanks everybody for tuning in if you made it this far all that good stuff um hopefully we'll hear you back next week we go live every tuesday 7 p.m central standard time on facebook uh instagram not instagram my bad facebook twitter and youtube someday instagram when they get their streaming stuff figured out but uh, that's all i got everybody have a great day and uh, hum public <laughs>